Welcome to the Legends and Masters show, everyone. I am very excited to introduce our guest today. He is an awesome actor, writer, director, producer, and I might add, uh, the leader of a small band of heroes that uh, took on the forces of evil head-on and won, helping to save the world. Welcome the legendary monster hunter himself, Andre Gower, everyone. Thanks for having me. Hello. You got it. Welcome to the show, sir. I Thank you so much for taking time to do the show. Massive fan of you and, and all you do. And, of course, all things monsters. So. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Thanks for having me. You, you got it. Um, so I guess I, I always try to get the sort of the elephant in the room out of the way. During all the pandemic and COVID-19 stuff, what, what have you been doing uh, to stay busy or sane, I guess is a good way to word it, too. Is there something going on? Yeah, did I miss? Yeah, what, did I miss that? something? What's that? Uh, to stay sane? Oh boy, um, yeah. that's a tough thing when you can't stay sane without a pandemic going on. Um, yeah. You know, the weird thing. I was just telling my buddy, uh, my buddy Mike, the other day. Uh, I'm a I'm a big reader. I read all the time, and um, okay. I, I go back and forth of what I'm reading. You know, nonfiction, science stuff, history. But I have guilty pleasures of reading like ser okay. like novel series of like you know, cool characters or, you know, shoot 'em ups or spy, spy, spy thrillers, things like that. Oh, very cool. Okay. And I, and I read a couple a month, right? And I go spend most of my day, I have to get out of the house to get any work done. I can't work in the, I get nothing done. And really? so I have to leave, I have oh, to be I somewhere you. else. And yeah. so most of the time I go out and I read <laughs> and then I do some work and then I okay. read some more and then I do some work. And when we kind of shut down, like my wife and I shut down about a week earlier in LA than even LA really okay shut down because I was like I think this is coming let's just go get some stuff just to be Smart. sure yeah and then be ahead of the game yeah and it did that I haven't read a book in three months <laughs> and so I'm going crazy <laughs> about that and so it's sort of it's a little nuts by not having that's how that's how I would normally stay sane yeah and I realized the other day I haven't read. Anything. So interesting to do something that you're not normally doing, right? And would which which it? means we are completely out of our normal routine. So we are completely hosed. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. I mean, yeah, you can't help but and and it's hard to get work done, you know, when no one else is working or you know schedules are weird or yeah, you know the things that you were planning on doing and or things you had on the books, you know, get completely wiped out. Yeah. For you know, at least six months and that happened, you know, so it's been, and it now looks like it's going to go a little bit further. <laughs> I, it just keeps uh, pushing but, off and off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was, uh, you know, I'm in, I'm in the final stages of getting the documentary released right now, which is great, awesome. but then there's still, there's up, a lag yeah. time there. Yeah, no, there's a story behind that. And then, uh, we were in, we're in development stages of another feature that looks like that has some interest of in getting made. Oh, and awesome. so we were in that beginning phase and all lockdown happened. So we don't know. Yeah. It looks like it's going to go forward, but we don't know when we're going to be able to shoot that feature. Okay, and gotcha. that's good, though. It's, you know, so that's weird. Up. And then I had a bunch of appearances and other events and things that were, you know, preliminarily and on the books all the way through the fall that are now just who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's that should be on the shirt. Just like, oh, man. yeah, who knows? We'll see. Um, yeah. Like the Zen master. I'm trying to be the Zen master. Yeah. We'll see. Try turn lemons into lemonades. Uh, the common expression nowadays. That's uh, <laughs> um. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, you've been in, I mean, uh, uh, your whole life. I mean, you've been acting in films, television. Um, I like to, especially people watching this, um, I, I like to dive right in to one of my all-time favorite movies, The Monster Squad. Um, 
we'll just dive right into that one. You know, I've, I've heard of that one. I've heard of that one. Yeah, there's some people talk about it. Uh, uh, man, this movie, I mean, it's really resonated with so many people. It holds up strong to this day. Um, even my oldest daughter, uh, you know, she's 18 now, but I mean, you know, we've been, we bonded over this movie and so many other people have as well. What, what's it like for you uh, to be a part of something like that? And I know it's got humble beginnings uh, to this story, of course, but what's it like for you to be a part of something like that? You know, it was something that we obviously were not, you know, expecting over the years because the movie disappeared for 19 and a half years, yeah. basically. And although, you know, people would mention it and talk about it that, you know, I did see it in the theater and I was like, oh, you're the one in your yeah. town. <laughs> and so it was, it was one of those things, you know, fortunately enough, I got to work after monster squad, you know, another yeah. TV stuff and kept going. So it was just sort of, you know, it didn't, it would have been nice if it did succeed, you know, when it released, but it did not. Right. Um, but you know, so it found, you know, we'll skip over the whole, you know, kind of 20 years of nothingness. Right. And it, it had this kind of reconnection and this resurgence ever since the spring of 2006, which led to, which was, you know, the original, Castro Union screening at the Alamo Draft House That's in right. Austin. Yeah. And um, that really was the seminal moment that completely changed everybody's world, including the fans, because the fans had always loved this movie. They had nowhere to gather with each other, even online, except for just mentioning it. Yeah. We had this one event, and they asked, Where's the DVD? And we're like, There's probably not going to be one, but you need to write letters and find out whoever owns the rights. Yeah. Yeah. And less yeah. than a year later, Lionsgate said, Oh, we own the, the video rights right now. Let's put out a special edition DVD. And now, then that blew up and went sold out in three, four weeks, it was crazy. All the fans got their hands on their, you know, kind of redone Blu ray finally, except for their, <laughs> you know, other than their, you know, bootleg, you know, DVD right. or yeah. their, you know, stolen VHS tape or whatever. And yeah. we thought that was a neat phenomenon, you know, like oh, yeah. oh, 06, oh, 07, yeah. 08. We started doing convention appearances and private, you know, screenings and things like that. And we thought that would sort of die out. I certainly said, this is neat. Look, this is yeah. neat and unique. Uh, but it, it's going to last about a year or two. You're right. Okay, that's you think of that. It kept going and yeah. going and going. And we kept Amazing. meeting so many, so many of these fans that had great stories like you and your daughter, like this was the yeah. movie that you connected with, oh, sure. whether it was an individual or parents with their kids or kids with their parents 20, 25 years ago. And I kept hearing these amazing stories and, you know, make a long story short, cause I could talk about this dynamic of meeting these fans and, and, and yeah. learning what this kind of resurgence was all about. Uh, that's really what the inspiration for the documentary was. Cause the documentary is not gotcha. a making, okay. it's not a making of doc. It's not a where are they now, Doc. That's why I get and, the trailer, yes. Right. And it's also not a fan doc. It's not a fan service documentary, awesome. which, you know, we have a slew of nostalgic fan documentaries right now that right. are really just kind of servicing that, you know, scratch that fan itch of Ghostbusters or, you know, whatever it is. Um, it, it's not that either. Really what it is, it's uh, something that was the point was a tribute to the fans that kept this film alive. And after yeah. hearing all these stories, the stories of what this movie meant to them whenever they first saw it or introduced it to their friends or That's they awesome. watched it with their parents or their kids, yeah. uh, it's about their stories. It's not about us. I mean, we cover us and we cover the making and we cover okay. some BTS stuff, which right. no one's ever seen, which is, which is oh, really neat stuff. Oh, that's awesome. But um, it, it's really about the stories of how the impact of these fans, um, not only – the impact that the movie had on the fans, but yeah. the impact that these fans had on a film and why it's still alive today. 
and bigger uh, than ever. And bigger, yeah, and bigger than ever. I, you know, see, yeah. like I said, we don't go linear in time here. It's just more conversational. I'll pop this sure. up. Uh, Wolfman's Gotnards. Uh, love the title, by the way. Uh, it's, it's one of the most, by the way, this movie is so, so damn quotable. So many great lines in it. Every single character's got, yeah, you know, from Frankenstein to, you know, with Bogus, to, you know, everybody's got a, a line in here. And, uh, but I, I, that one probably takes the cake. It's properly named uh, for the documentary, I would say. The, the dialogue, you never, you know, suspected at the time that it would have all these quotable great lines, right? Yeah. Uh, but you know, that, that gives, you know, some, you know, a testament to, you know, oh, guys like Shane Black and Fred Decker who wrote these words on a page Yeah, and, um, you know, they, they've, they've written some memorable stuff and other things as well, but you know, not only we wouldn't think a resurgence of things would happen when we're shooting this movie or when it came out and, and bombed in the box office, but to have the dialogue and some things yeah. like the Stephen King rule shirt, now you're oh, back and yeah. some things like that, um, become iconic i mean yeah. there's some literally yeah. iconic lines that are part of people's everyday lexicon now and yeah. you know yeah. it just became their vernacular like like nards and yeah. like yeah. wolfman's got them <laughs> and kick them in them and uh so many things that you know just catch people or affect people in a, you know at different times and you know like you said you know the the title of the documentary i honestly that was the first choice mm -hmm. uh i did write down like four or five alternate kind of titles I, you know okay. i i asked my i asked my wife i asked you know my production team henry and wes and and all these guys and we wrote down some alternates and we're like there's not yeah. really any other title there's just it's other gotta, ones would work if you didn't have this but this has got to be it this has got to be because it. Uh, it really is the most memorable line from the movie oh, and yeah. uh, we have a great we have a we have a great uh, you know coverage of that in the documentary just to oh, just cool. kind of show the power or kind of show the power of it. But yeah, you know, to, to have, you know, people call out across a quad in college or across a parking lot or <laughs> yeah. at, you know, San Diego Comic-Con and just scream in your lines yeah. or something like that, um, to find it around maybe um, what's it like to be a part of that? Yeah. You know, really, it's a really unique experience. I don't, you know, not a lot of people, yeah. even in the industry, let alone on the planet, get get to be a part of something like that. So it's pretty cool. So that's what I love about it because I saw the the preview uh, for it or the you know, trailer uh, for Wolfman Scott Nards. Uh, again, just fun to say. Uh, <laughs> but it's um, that's what the aspect I really like because otherwise it's like why not look at the DVD extra so to speak or you know what I mean? It was a, a totally different facet to it. it. Looks super interesting. And well, thank you. So that means the trailer worked. Yeah, because <laughs> that's always a big thing. Uh, we got very lucky with that trailer because uh, my main guy, Henry McComas, that was really the other hand in making this movie with me yes. production-wise, uh, is a phenomenal filmmaker, great storyteller, and a fan himself. So every, there's one cool thing about this documentary is anybody that touched it in any way, shape, or form, either in production or in post uh, or even on camera you know, yeah. in it, everybody has a connection to it in some way. There's no meaningless people, oh, you know, cool. that even touched oh. it in production. So, and even that everybody that touched it in production pre, pre and post were fans. So they, they gave a shit. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's really interesting to see something like that because it, it, it comes through. Right. You, um, feel, you definitely but, pick up on that. Yeah. And one of the great things, you know, we had a great, uh, 
you know, relationship with Adam F. Goldberg, uh, you know, who created the Goldbergs and yeah. schooled. And he, you know, he's just a big eighties nostalgia, you know, ki- you know, King nerd. He's the King nerd. Yeah. And, you know, he, I love his show because it's, you know, it's everybody's childhood of our age. Right. Oh, for and sure. Yeah. We, in, we ended up getting in contact about something else. Uh, he oh. was looking, f- this is a great story. This is, this is a great story. Go for, go for, yeah. uh, he was, I was at a convention and my Twitter was blowing up and I was realizing that Adam F. Goldberg, who I had not met at the time, was, was looking, was polling his Twitter verse, which is, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. Could anybody identify the two people in this commercial? It was an old commercial. Okay. Cause they wanted to use it on the show. And everybody was like, uh, yeah, everybody knows that's Andre Gower. And I was like, <laughs> I don't think everybody knows that. <laughs> Cause I was like eight or something. Right. I was like seven. Right. And so I got in touch with the, with the office and they're like, oh my gosh, yeah, can you, you know, sign this clearance because we want to use the, this oh, commercial wow. in the episode. And then I was like, that's great. I don't mind that at all. By the way, I was getting ready to cold reach out to Adam uh, just in case he'd want to sit down for a document. And we ended up becoming friends. He was all so in. Cool. Wow. Um, we got to do his interview on his set. Uh, you know, so really? it's, we're, sitting in, we're sitting in TV kid Adam's you know, set at the, at the Sony lot and doing Adam F. And he's telling me how this movie affected his life and how everything, how everything that he's written ever since he's always tried to put nards in it in some (laughs) way, shape or form. And I had seen one episode when he mentioned it, but he had his editor make me a super cut of like the last two or three seasons of every time someone said nards on the show. (laughs) And he allowed me to use that in the documentary. So that's a little great little teaser if everybody's going to love to see. <laughs> that's great. And then at the same time, since we were talking about the trailer, one of his buddies is this amazing kind of editor and trailer. He's like this go-to trailer maker guy, uh, actually for pitch trailers, really. And his name is Jeff Yorks. And okay. Adam was like, can I help in some way? Uh, why don't I have cool. my guy, can, can we bust out a trailer? And we were like, wow. have yeah. at it. Let's see what that turns out to be. And Jeff busted out this trailer in like a weekend and yeah. we released that on entertainment weekly and it just kind of views oh, yeah. right before we, right in the middle of our festival season. So it was great. Oh, and it's very well done. I love that. You know, the, it's the love of the, the movie and the, what that brought out and everybody. And I love how it was described at the time. It was like, you know, the little rascals that they took on the classic monsters and uh, it's just amazing. And by the way, like, of course, of course, you know, the people watching, including myself, love the monsters. But I think what really, um, for me, made the movie work and click was uh, the dynamic of the kids uh, or the monster squad, if you will. And yes, I know it's not entirely technically the whole group, but you get the idea with that. Um, what was that dynamic like on set? Because I, I know um, the guy who played Patrick actually was a friend of yours. And you go, that was an interesting story there. Like, yeah, Robbie Kiger and I had known each other since we were really little, you know, really? since we were very young. And uh, I had uh, I had known probably for, I mean, we shot this movie when we were 13, and I probably knew him since we were, you know, six or seven, if not earlier. Oh, I didn't know that long. Um, because that's both when we started in the business. Yeah, we both had done a lot of TV and, you know, commercial. And, you know, back in that day in, in, in L.A. and in Hollywood, when you're a kid actor and you're of a certain age group and you're doing – like. There's only so many kids in the business. You know, there's a lot, but right. you see the same, you see everybody all the time. 
And, uh, you know, Robbie, I had just known, I had just known for years and it came down to, uh, Robbie and this other kid who I had, uh, for the role of Patrick, I had, I had already been cast, uh, luckily as Sean. Um, and I never auditioned for the role of Sean. I never auditioned a screen test for that role. I originally auditioned for the role of root for the role of Rudy. And because uh, okay. up until that time, my body, my body of work had always been the cool kid with the leather jacket and the, and the great hair. Okay. And so it just kind of automatically went into that mode. But interesting. I auditioned, okay. screen tested, and they called me up and cast me as the lead. You know, right off the bat. And, That's awesome. Because I'm sure Ryan Lambert came in and busted out the world's best Rudy audition. Because <laughs> I know how that story goes. He was amazing. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, I had known Robbie for a while. Um, but you know the the great story connected between the role of Patrick and the audition process is it, they they narrowed it down to a couple people and a couple kids and Robbie I had known and um, they had a New York choice uh, this kid who they flew out for the weekend to screen test and I spent like a day at the mall and like having lunch with him oh, and his okay. mom and interesting he was this oh. kind of he was he was this little ball of energy and he was like he was a comedy-minded kid and yeah. he was just you know out of this he was just out of this world to me and i knew this 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 kid was on another level yeah. to me <laughs> and um, but i never met i had to spend the day with him and you know this again of how things impact people in their lives uh and that was seth green Oh, and I didn't know that. So wow. Seth had Seth had been to LA once or <laughs> twice before for big screen tests, but he was from Philadelphia, and okay. we ended up meeting that Saturday. He didn't get the role, uh, but he always wanted to because everybody wanted to be in this big monster movie that was coming out. Yeah. And but shortly after that audition, he and his family moved to LA permanently, which was the best move he ever did because he's Seth Green. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and yeah, you know, yeah. he's the you know. He's, he is, he is one genuinely one of the, the, the most genuine and authentic people in this business. And we've been friends for decades. Uh, Even if you don't see him for, you know, a while or whatever, you know, he's he's just a great guy. And uh, he, he sat, he's in the documentary, you know, he sat down and, uh, you know, explained his audition story. Yeah. Talk about, you know, cult film, talk about nostalgia, you know, cause he has a, he has a pretty big role in pop culture and nostalgia right now. And, um, you know, it was just a great experience and he's helped me out with other stuff too. You know, it's, uh, he's one of those guys that if he, if he can help, he will. And, um, you know, some things he's just like, you couldn't, you couldn't keep me away with, you know, a wildfire, you know, for being involved in something. And we got to go to his office and take an hour of his time. And he sat down and talked about, you know, memories of monster squad and, and, you know, and how that led to a bunch of other stuff. And, you know, oh, talk about cool. nostalgia and, and cult and pop culture, things like that. So, uh, and he's a, just a wealth of information anyway, because oh, yeah. he's literally one of the guys that has the finger on the pulse of everything pop culture right now. <laughs> he really does. Um, yeah. And, and as far as the documentary goes, like, uh, w- what do you think in the future wise, as far as releasing that or access for people for, for seeing that? Well, hopefully it's, uh, I can't, we're right in the middle. We, we, had, a, we had a situation happen a year ago in, in the summer where we had the best deal and offer that came out and uh, we started working on that. And f- for some reason or two, there were some delays. The holidays came around and then um, uh, COVID hit yeah. and uh, yeah. that deal ended up not happening. So we were already supposed to be out for quite a while. 
uh, it just didn't happen. You know, w- welcome to the movie business. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, we started from, we started from square one again. And it looks like uh, I think we're in the final we're in the final stages of uh, solidifying the release and the deal. Oh, cool. um, I, I can't mention names or times or anything right, right yet right. because it's all still paperwork. Yeah. But uh, I, I will I will I will text you and I will let you know like so oh, you can update do. everybody. Yeah, the second but half, hopefully uh, very hopefully very soon. So uh, perfect. Hopefully very soon the announcement. Please follow me or follow the doc. It's at the squad doc yes. on the social media. Uh, follow me too, and you'll get all the announcements. Awesome. And anybody watching too at the end, I'll have that up on the screen too, so you guys can check that out. But yeah, so when I saw the trailer, I'm like, how come I haven't heard about this? I was like. Where, where I'm trying, I'm looking all over. I'm like, where is it? Uh, so yeah, I'm really excited. I know many people are because it, I mean, it really did look that good. And of course, um, you know, you know, we love the movie and, and everything like that too. And, and it is like a generational thing, so to speak. Um, and, and honestly, to get into like your performance, I love, I love your performance in it. You actually made me want to start a monster club, you know, I, I <laughs> after watching that movie. Um, yeah. And the energy on set, I mean, what was that like for you seeing the, just the different uh, costumes and the creatures? I mean, because you guys had the Stan Winston studio uh, with Stan Winston himself overseeing that. What was that like seeing that on set? You know, that that's that's like a three or four part answer. <laughs> you know, what you know, what was like the energy on that set? You know, one, you know, you're doing this, you know, pretty big studio movie with an ensemble cast of kids uh, that, that has its own dynamic and energy anyway. And yeah. then when you are the lead of said movie, which is a kind of a different take and a different perspective slash responsibility, um, you know, cause there, when I, when I was there, I was working every, I worked every day for about three or three and a half months straight. Wow. And I remember only taking one day off because I was sick or I was, uh, I wasn't, I was just exhausted or something. I wasn't feeling well. And so you have to shoot around, but you know, dealing with kids, is a whole other ball of wax when you're making, you know, making a movie. It's so right. restrictive and prohibitive. So, you know, the production had to really work around all of the kids. Wow, and especially when you have little, little ones like Ashley and Michael, it's a whole other, you oh, know, yeah. restrictive ball of wax. But then to be on this amazing set doing a movie um, and seeing all this great stuff with the visual effects and the special effects on set and the practical creature effects, how many, how many, how many people get to see that and, yeah, right. and be a part of that? Yeah. And so you kind of knew something was awesome and something was special because especially when we got to like the last week or so of shooting, which was the, that final climactic battle scene, you know, at the end okay. with the wind and the vortex and the special yeah. effects, you know, that, that wrapped our shooting. So that kind of almost wrapped the whole, okay. you know, kind of experience. So it was this, this giant endeavor, you know, with wind machines and all that. So <laughs> there was all sorts of energy there, all sorts of energy. The problem is, is when you're, is making a movie fun? Absolutely. Acting okay. and performing, it, it's the most fun you'll have making money, maybe. I don't know. It depends on what you do. Yeah, right. um, you know, may, maybe playing professional sports or, yeah. you know, uh, or, or whatever you want to fill in the blank with. But it's also a lot of work. And especially when you're kids on a set, you, there's no time for you know, ballyhoo and, and, and shenanigans and practical joking. And you get to have fun and you get to enjoy each other's company. But, but when you're on work. set, you got to be, it's work. You got to be yeah. on your spot. You got to know what you're doing because you're restricted in time. And, okay, yeah. you know, that's why productions always say don't work with kids or animals because it's a pain in the <laughs> ass. And uh, I'm sure that there was, you know, many pains and many asses during the, yeah. you know, three or so months that, that we shot. But 
you know, you, you kind of know that. And I had, you know, look, I was only 13, but I had started working when I was five. And so, you yeah. know, you kind of had already uh, almost half of a career span in, in the industry. And, oh, you know, you kind of know your, what you're supposed to do. And more importantly, you know what you're not supposed to do. And okay. you can always, it's always a learning thing of what you should do, but there's always sort of a set thing of what not to do. And um, if you do that and you learn and you're good, then you'll get through the day and, and, and you won't uh, make a mess of it or you won't piss too many people yeah. off. Um, yeah. But, you know, Fred, you know, Fred was a good shepherd, you know, for, yeah. you know, kind of a, you know, the, he was really the gang leader or the squad leader, if you will. Okay. Um, you know, because he had to be in between this giant production full of all these you know, studio guys and executives and, and crew members. And then he had to also deal with us as the cast. And then when he wasn't dealing with us, he had to deal with these amazing, you know, super trained classical, awesome actors like Duncan Regeer oh. and Stephen oh, yeah. Mock and Tom Noonan and things like that, that were just kind of, unbelievable. you know, yeah. just filling in these amazing spaces. And it, that was, a, I think it was a big endeavor for Fred, you know, who was very young at the time. It looked and like a big, I think he, I mean, uh, big, yeah, look like a big undertake. I mean, it's like, uh, I always like, like recently people like comparing things like the, all the big superhero movies, the big, I mean, if you look at it, that was like one of the, the earliest forms of that. If you think, if you think about it, you know, sure. If yeah. You, Not the first person that said that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll throw the credit that way too. So <laughs> I, it's I imagine. Yeah. And, and being on set, I imagine you're also learning a lot and seeing things, but yeah, you know, being, being on point, um, you know, and, and, he, and I like to go into as well, working uh, with uh, Ryan Lambert, a.k.a. Rudy, one of the coolest guys, not just in the movie. I, I dare to say all oh, cinema uh, just walks on in monster, monster killer, natural and that. What, what's it? Uh, I mean, and the other thing, I think you guys you do keep in keep in touch over the years, right? Uh, certainly uh, not for. We didn't for a while. We lost touch through most of the 90s because he, uh, he moved off to be a rock star and he lived in San Francisco for about 15 years. Wow. Uh, I had been living in uh, I had been living in North Carolina, which I went off. I went to school in North Carolina. I went to two different colleges and uh, I played basketball in college. So that's what I went wow. to do for a number of years. And then I worked uh, I worked writing. I was writing for a number of years. I was a journalist for, you know, four or five years after school at, at small newspapers oh, wow. and magazines around around the area. So I was kind of completely disconnected from a lot of stuff. But yeah, you know, Ryan, that's why he is Rudy. He walked into that audition, nailed it, became that iconic kind of amalgam of yeah. what every cool character of every other TV show and movie has ever been. Yeah. And then he took it, he took it all those and then made it his own and took it to another level. Um, and, you know, he is. I, I think Rudy's one of those iconic characters that is a lot deeper than most people think. He's not just the cool kid. Yeah. Ryan has his own take on it that he's created, you know, over the years. And, you know, the legend of Rudy Halloran, that's his last name, um, okay. you know, just grows and grows. But, uh, you know, I, I think Ryan's a, he, he's an extremely intelligent guy. He's very artistic. He's very creative. Uh, he's a sensitive guy. So he understands you know, and he's very well read. He likes to read stuff. He, you know, he knows a bunch of wacky stuff like I do that no one would pay attention to. <laughs> and um, once we reconnected sort of like in 07, uh, you know, at the beginning of the resurgence, yeah. uh, we ended up both moving back to LA at the same time in like 2013. Oh, and okay. so we got to hang out more, you know, got really close again and spent, you know, a lot of time together. 
because we were appearing all over the country and all over the world, you know, as, as oh, yeah. you know, Sean and Rudy and then Ashley would come and do conventions and appearances. Uh, and then I realized that Ryan and I not only were very different types of human beings, like the yeah. stuff that we like or, you know, things that our experiences, but we're also very similar. And so that, okay. that's always an interesting mix. And I realized that Ryan and I, uh, you know, we would fall into like old routines and do some stuff and like we just had so much fun together. And we would always joke when we were at the, you know, at the, at the coffee shop or at the bar or something, be like, we would just laugh about something for 30 minutes and come up with all this crazy shit. <laughs> and awesome. we're like, you know, we should have a pod, you know, this should be a podcast. We should have just recorded that because someone would have paid to listen to that. And <laughs> my wife had said it for like a year and a half until we finally actually did a podcast. So Ryan and I had a podcast for a year and um, awesome. it was super fun. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was obviously it was called Squadcast. Squad, yeah. And yeah. Um, with Squadcast with Ryan and Andre. And, but then we started going around as a duo, uh, doing our podcast, also doing appearances and what it is, one of my favorite things that, you know, I have created and accomplished in the last couple of years, um, because I had moved back to LA to do a specific television show that I, uh, created with a couple friends and it developed and we shot, I shot a, I shot a spec pilot for it, sold it to the first studio that we met with. And like, that took six to seven months and ended up not happening. It's, it stayed at that studio for another six or seven months in a different division and ended yeah. up not happening. So yeah. all of a sudden you're a year and a half yeah. after the two years of shooting. You're like, like wait, oh, welcome to Hollywood. You're right. And it's amazing. And I think it's done, I right? a show where uh, <laughs> Ryan and I, oh, it's, it's, it's insane. But during that time, I had come up with a concept at, that was actually at Fantastic in, uh, in Austin, Texas. It was a great film festival. And I always love the shorts programming. I love short films. Yeah, and yeah, oh, I love it. Yeah, I was like, you know, unless unless you unless you go to a film festival, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't get to see good shorts. True, because there's not there's no programming point. and there's no you know theaters barely run them. They used to run them before features. You know, used you know the cartoons yeah. or short films. Yeah, and no one does that anymore. Now we even have the internet, and you control YouTube or maybe Vimeo if you have a pro account. If that, yeah. Um, so I created a. I wanted to. I wanted to support and uh, kind of signal boost short films and short filmmakers because they're the next awesome. generation of filmmakers. For sure. And yeah. I realized once you think of something like that, that one means you're cool, and two, you're getting old. <laughs> and so, uh, but I created. A, I created a show. I sold it to um, Nerdist. Uh, yeah. You know when oh, Nerdist right. launched. Yes. Nerdist launched their um, their subscription network called Alpha. And we were one of their first acquisitions in phase two of their launch. And we did 22 episodes of a show called Short Ends. And Ryan and I were the co-hosts. And we just got to go fall into our bits and do our thing and be funny with each other. And the funny thing with Ryan and I is like sometimes I'm the straight guy and he's the wacky one. And then we can reverse it and it doesn't matter. It just you know, acting. Okay, we'll do this next. It part. just, it just that that that's lucky about being friends with someone like Ryan because we can just. It doesn't matter. We can always just hit the beats, and we got to it meet a. We got too. to meet a. It does. It, it it was a lot of fun, and we had a great producer named Ben McShane at 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 Nerdist and Alpha that we did this show. It was basically the three of us created and and made the show each episode we wow. themed this episode so we had to we had to call all of our friends all of the film festivals we've been to programmers that we knew to you know to get these great shorts have them themed where they'd fit in oh, okay cool an episode that we already come up with 
and then showcase three or four shorts an episode, talk to them, and then we'd have the filmmakers on the set. Oh, that's uh, awesome. You know, sometimes and, and get – but we showcased 84 or 85 shorts in 22 wow. episodes. So uh, awesome. that, was, that was a great show. We only did two seasons, but I, I'd, I'd still like to bring that out because the network yeah. died. The network ended up folding. So, um, Unfortunately, and that's what the thing I like to ask. There just wasn't enough subscribers in that world. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's what I like to ask too, because a lot of people, you know, especially if, you know, you, let's say your primary, primary experience was acting, let's say, you know, I always like to ask, like, um, you know, the, the writing and directing side that you've done, like, do you, what, what direction you want to do more of that? So you would want to do more of what you just mentioned there, right? Bring that show back or things like that, right? I, I do. I, I love creating concepts. I love adding the concepts that are maybe someone else's or, or, or collaborating with people and making, you know, making something happen. Yeah. Uh, it's so hard. It's so easy to write something or come up with an idea. It's extremely difficult to, to develop that concept to a point and then have access to be able to get it to people that make stuff. And then Got it's it. even more hard to actually get something made. Right. And then when a wider audience actually sees something made, that's even harder. You know, it's, right. it's, yeah. it's incredibly difficult when you look at the numbers of how many people and how many things. So, you know, over the last couple of years, I've, I, I feel very fortunate that I've been able to create some projects that got done and that people have seen, uh, including yeah. the documentary, including short ends, which is honestly was something was sort of like number five on a list of five things that I was pitching at the time. Oh, wow. Really? And the, when Nerdist, I met with Brendan from Nerdist uh, in the bar at the Alamo Draft House during a film festival, and I threw five projects out on him. And I had created short ends like the day before. Oh, really? And that's the one he won. That's the one he won. So uh, we went right into like, you know, a few months later, we were, you know, drawing up paperwork and developing the show. All at the same time that I was developing the deal and doing paperwork for my studio partner with the documentary, so I went into production on a TV on a TV show about short about short films. At the same time, I started production on the documentary, and we did all that at the same wow. time in the same year. Oh wow! Yeah, well, I mean, you know, when you got momentum, I guess, right? Just just crank it out. But that's hilarious. Sometimes, yeah. Don't don't say no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that's awesome. I just love make hearing it work. that too. I love hearing that. You know, the, the side of things I mentioned as before we got on here is like I mainly do you know seven days a week, I'm doing teaching martial arts in our Brazilian jiu-jitsu school. Um, can't do yeah. that now. And it's sort of turned into slow, but surely into this show. I've been actually doing this as a show for about two, two and a half months and been having mm -hmm. amazing guests like you on. And um, I go, what do I love? I just love, I'm a pop culture nerd. And uh, I, I want to shine more light on people that I love watching and, <clears throat> and um yeah, people have access. And, I, and to be fair, I think people are getting kind of sick of their TV shows because they're not really making shows right now anyways. <laughs> it's it's crazy. I mean, we're we're all watching, you know, old episodes of shows that we've seen a hundred times and we're still watching them. <laughs> I'm a sucker for old TV shows anyway. Uh oh, yeah. I have I have Hulu, I have Hulu, Netflix, Amazon, and I just got HBO Max. Okay. Uh, and I still I still will watch I will still watch a broadcast rerun of ER over logging into a streamer and watch, <laughs> even though my that's my favorite show of all time and it's on streaming. For some reason, I will still watch it on TV for like an idiot. Yeah. Uh, and my, my wife asked me every day. She goes, "You know, ER is on." I was like, "I know. I know. I, I'm okay. I'm fine with it. I'm wired. Um, I'm wired but yeah, we're all watching our favorite stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um. <laughs> 
It's it's interesting. I do want to bring this up. Um, you know, I, I try to keep things non-political and stuff on the show and upbeat. Uh, but I mean, this was a crusher when I mean, I can only imagine anybody else close to him. Um, but you know, this guy, one of the biggest guys in in the movie, you know, big impacts for Horace Brent Chalum, uh, when he passed away in 1997, it was such a shocker. Um, and I, you know, especially being tied to the movie, you know, it almost becomes like you're part of the monster squad family vibe. And yeah, it was such a sad thing, but he, I mean, he had some of the great performances and some of the best lines, uh, obviously Wolfman's got nards, but the, the whole, you know, my name is Horace. I mean, epic, uh, throughout the whole thing. What was he like, uh, you know, just knowing, knowing him, but like working with him and things like that. Uh, you know, Brent, when he was a year or so younger than, than Robbie and I, Ryan's a year and a half older than I am, and Robbie and I were the same age. And Brent was actually fairly young. He was a year, wow, almost two years younger than, than, than Robbie and I, I think. So he was like 12 or something when we shot it. Wow. And had worked a little bit, but not, you know, but not a ton. So he was very, very sweet, very new. Uh, but that's exactly what came across Oh. in the character of Horace. It wasn't this kind of, you know, old soul kind of veteran actor kid who can, you know, just do whatever he wants to. Yeah. Brent brought that kind of sweetness and that vulnerability to the role just naturally. And, yeah. you know, and that comes across in the screen. And, you know, Ashley Bank always said, you know, we, we toured, you know, three years ago for the 30th anniversary. And, you know, we did uh, 17 cities in 17 days. And she mentioned something that, you know, because everybody brings up Brent. Because some yeah. people know he died and some people don't know he died. And we have to break the news and it just crushes a, a theater. <laughs> and, um, oh, no. But he's oh, like, you know, you know Hor man. Horace has the best character arc in the movie. I'd say. And, you know, and a lot of people mention that. Yeah. And, and then he rises up and it's that champion moment. Yeah. And not only is it the champion moment for a character, but it's a champion moment for the movie. I, I mean, that, that iconic kind of thing is really that epic like you said epic or yeah, iconic yeah. moment that everybody just goes crazy for you know you yeah. there's people that know every single line to this movie and they will wait and you can you can watch this movie in an audience i usually <laughs> stand in the back or pop in but you can feel the beats and you can feel the energy rise people will be mouthing every every word of dialogue but they know when the big ones are coming up and that you feel the audience it just gets tight and awake and then it just explodes and the place goes crazy and wow. it's on like two or three different times with, with, with Brent and, and, yeah. and oh, Horace. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but at the end, I mean, that's just crazy. I mean, it's just, uh, yeah. um, you know, when he pumps that shotgun, I, I wish, I always wish there was a better death scene for creature for Gilman, but, um, okay, yeah, that's always, it's always, that's always the thing, but, uh, I, mean, like, I, I, I thought it could be cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he, but you know, one, he, you know, and to learn, what? sorry, I was going to finish with Brent too. Yeah. You know, to learn years later that, you know, he had passed away when no one had seen him in a while. Uh, you know, the, the real tragedy, not, I mean, obviously that he's not there anymore, but the fact that this thing came back and had a resurgence. Oh, so didn't get and back. he really is one of the characters that all, all the fans connected with. Sure. And because, you know, like Ryan and I get to talk to these fans all the time and you, you hear a lot from like, you know, like you or, you know, anybody else that was a fan back in the day. Like, hey, I... I, I wanted to be, I wanted to be Rudy, right? But yeah. I was really a Horace. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, it's sort of the same thing with, 
hey, you know, I really wanted to be Rudy, but I was Sean. I was you because I was the one that got everybody together in my house and I told yeah. everybody what to do. And I was the insufferable know-it-all and yeah. commanding everybody. <laughs> and uh, But everybody connected with Horace in some way, shape, or form. And when they learned, you know, you know when we learned that he had died and then this resurgence happened, yeah, there's the real tragedy is that he see. can't be a part of it because he doesn't know this became a thing. Yeah. And on the other side of that, the fans don't get to reconnect with their favorite character. The ones yeah. that they really were like, Oh my God, that's my guy. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> you know, th that's just, um, that's my, th yeah, it, it, that's, that's, that's unfortunate. It's sad, but I can't, it can't ruin your day because you can't do anything about it. But we sit around, like we've had long conversations yeah. about that, and yeah. when not to shamelessly plug the doc, again yeah. but we oh, yeah. give we there's a chapter that's a tribute to brent awesome. there's, there's okay. a chapter to brent oh i can't wait yeah tribute to him and we actually get the story um of what happened to him oh wow okay see yeah. there's so much about that I, this i want to uh want to see uh and I, I sorry everybody you know i know it's i knew it was gonna be a downer subject but i felt like it, he he deserved to be brought up in this and, and absolutely got a whole chapter in the documentary. I just can't wait. Cause yeah, I mean, growing up, I mean, it's like, this is like, yeah, you know, whatever you watch on TV is like, yeah, this is part of my life. Everybody, everybody knows this. Uh, but yeah, he didn't get, it's such a bummer. He didn't get to see that, that feedback as much, but uh, he's very well uh, remembered and, and missed of course. Um, now we do have people that will pop in, uh, ask questions and emails and things like that. So as I go through here, um, I don't, just blurt them out at you because it was going to disrupt like what you're talking about. So I'm going to bring one up now and actually do have a picture for this. I'll just bring up either way uh, for you uh, concerning the amulets, concerning the amulet, because uh, they don't go into that a lot. You know, I'm sure there's a whole backstory you could go into. Um, what, uh, as far as that goes, what was the amulets um, or, or maybe ask you, what do you think the, the origin of the amulet was? Good. That's a, that's a great question. Some people, you know, ask about the amulet. You know, I think, I, I think it's obviously something that was crafted. Um, you know, it had to be the physical manifestation of something uh, supernatural, obviously, because yes. it opens up a hole in a dimension. So it was really this, you know, I like it because, you know, I'm into science and, yeah. You know, cosmology and quantum physics and mechanics, you know, when you take a year and read that shit and blows your mind. But, um, I, you know, I think it was something that's crafted by some wizard or warlock hundreds of years prior was going you know, that to way our too. story. Yeah. And it travels the world. And I think the amulet has a story. I always I always thought the amulet was something that you could always do, uh, if not a prequel, but stories prior to 1987's use of the amulet. Oh, sure. So every hundred awesome. years it's vulnerable. But then in between those hundred years, it's traveling around or being protected, you know, almost like a, you know, a, it's sort of like a, a monster priory of Scion, you know, <laughs> you know, kind of, you know, <laughs> protecting the, you know, the, the bloodline or something. But um, yeah, it's, I think that's traveled to earth for probably a thousand years. Um, I yeah. think that you could even go further back, to be, even prior to Dracula becoming a vampire that, the amulet was something that balanced good and evil on earth. Um, and it's an interdimensional thing. And it's just whoever is the lead bad asshole of the time is always searching for that, for the amulet, you know? So I That's think awesome. even before Dracula becomes Dracula, yeah, 
there's oh, I, bad guys. You know, you could you could go you could go centuries oh. before that and have great stories with amulet hunters and the Van Helsing of the time or the Monster oh, Squad sure. of the time. For sure, uh, they're just you know if you go back a thousand years, there's just not going to be you know Burger King and Adidas in it, you know, or something. So it's um, <laughs> but you know you, you know it's fine. You know, it, it, you could go back like a Highlander series with it almost. It's crazy. Oh, man, that'd be awesome. I, I figure, yeah, I, I, you're the, the expert on it. I mean, that that would I thought was a great question <laughs> that, was, that was brought up, you know, like. Yeah, it was what, a great question. Yeah. What is that? What is that? Um, and, and speaking of Dracula, this has got to be all the monsters, but we'll talk about uh, Dracula here uh, with Duncan uh, Reger. Uh, what is, I mean, he's kind of like the consummate vampire in many people. I think he was even voted you know, as one of the, the, when the people think of vampires or Dracula, I should say, I'm sorry. Uh, that's the guy, man. I mean, that guy, he was such a bastard in that movie. <laughs> you, you know, he, he, one, he's, he's a phenomenal guy and a, and a phenomenal actor, no matter oh, what he does. Sure. But then he takes on this role of playing one of the world's, well, most well-known villains. Yeah. And there's been a lot of great, you know, iconic roles that people have played, especially in the in, in the genre world. I mean, obviously, it's a literature character that anybody can manifest or you know kind of envision in their mind. But you know, through movies and television since 1935, um, you know, we, we've had this kind of physical manifestation of Dracula. Yeah. And uh, again, you know, Duncan talks about that of how he approached the role. Yeah. Um, you know, it, there's no camp. There's no camp to it. Uh, there, I mean, he really is this guy, this synonym. He brought kind of, I, I love his story because he told that Dracula is always this kind of mythical monster. But he approached it from uh, a, a perspective that he's, yeah, he's this monster. And he's been this monster for centuries now, right? Oh, uh, yeah. But he's a monster that at one time was a man. And he didn't necessarily choose to become a monster. But he's just got to live with it, and that's that's just how it is, and it kind of overtakes you and consumes you, I guess. And so he approached it with sort of this vulnerability, but he yeah. has this pathos with this character, and I mean, he he is not messing around, <laughs> and he doesn't care who is in the way. I mean, my favorite shot in the movie is when he drives over my picket fence and rips his own car door off with one hand. That's my favorite shot in the movie. <laughs> that's great. And then he walks in the back. He walks in the backyard. And throws a stick of dynamite in the treehouse, which he thinks six kids are in. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's okay. No big deal. He's not doing it just to <laughs> blow up a piece of wood. He yeah. thinks we're in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because he has a line and he says, meeting adjourned. And you're yeah. like, uh. That's pretty dark. That's, right? <laughs> whoa. And uh, he does it with such this gravity that. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, he's, I've seen him on the list. He's a lot of people's favorite. And I think on kind of the big time lists. He's always in the top 10. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. And I think he did bring that. Yep. Yeah, it's the way he um, brought the character back. Because he seemed kind of like this, uh, yeah, he, he kind of seems he could be approachable. And all of a sudden, yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, I mean and he, no, you don't, you don't want to mess with him. And I, and I realized, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I mean, the, the famous scene, I mean, you just wanted to reach out and save uh, the character of Phoebe when he when he calls her a bitch, which I I understand that she was not even around when he said that, so, <laughs> which which I guess uh, would add to the the character, I suppose. But he didn't. I, I don't. 
don't listen to all the stories that you yeah. hear about. The, she was there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the scream the scream is is authentic. Very. She didn't know that was coming her, at all. Her, her fear her fear is real. <laughs> oh man. And uh, it was one of those things where Fred. Fred actually kind of played a little trick on her and, and, oh, but she tells the story. That's her story to tell. Okay. Um, you, you can look on it or you can find it. It's, we have it, we have it in the, in the documentary of, of explaining that scene. Uh, and boy, bless her heart. I mean, she, she rocked it, but she's, she's scared out of her, her wits right there. But, and that's all real. <laughs> that's, oh man. That was one of, honestly, one of the scariest scenes in the movie. Cause it was just kind of like, Oh, he's like looking there and you know, something's mm. coming and boom. He hits you with it, and that was such a real reaction. I was like, "Wow!" <laughs> yeah, that's great. another iconic line. I mean, how many how many movies before, during, or since can pick up a five year old girl by her neck and call her a bitch? <laughs> like, I don't. I mean, we're, we're you're you're not you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. Uh, but again, this is Dracula, and he yes. gives no f. Yeah, he does not. <laughs> yeah, you don't mess with them. I like. Yeah, and that really just solidified. You know, like you said, like. Beginning, middle, and end of the movie, there's 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 one-liners, quotable one-liners throughout the whole thing. There's such pivotal moments and and memorable moments throughout the entire thing. It's not like it was like okay, this this one area was good and the rest of it was filler. The whole movie had so many different layers to it. Even the Wolfman and I have some friends that are officers and stuff. They say I asked them like, you, you know, what happens? Some guy come, crazy man comes in. And says, "I'm a werewolf. Lock me up." He's like, "Oh no, I, I, I see Monster Squad. You lock the guy up." Oh. <laughs> so I. <laughs> That's I like that story. I like that name. <laughs> we don't play around with that. You you lock that man up uh, or, or woman, uh, but um, I, I you should yeah. Or, <laughs> but another uh, amazing uh, the the costume design everything the animatronics and i love the extra cool story uh that the sculpt of the wolfman's face is mimicked after stan winston himself i thought i'd never knew that and when you look at it, you're like oh wow yeah you could see it yeah uh, it it actually is and one one of my favorite stories that i learned after you know made this movie and i only learned during the documentary mostly uh, was about the main creature effects guys that that created all of these really what became iconic looks of classic monsters and yeah stan winston's shop had been open you know for a couple of years they had done uh aliens and uh yeah. predator like just oh, earlier in the year so good. uh you know they they end up saving predator from the red chicken oh, alien oh, yeah. suit into became predator which is a which is which is all which is all Stan and it's Steve Wang's paint design, which if you look at Gilman, it's very similar. Yeah, it's um, yeah. But these were all young, hungry, aspiring artists that wanted to make creature effects and monster makeup that grew up loving the classic films. Yeah. And they all got a chance to work with Stan Winston, who had just started this new shop and worked on this movie called Monster Squad. And they thought they were getting their chance to recreate all these classic characters and then they had to kind of tweak uh, creature from the black lagoon and frankenstein's monster a little bit because of copyright issues at universal oh well, that's why and that's that's why it's it, it's tweaked at the last minute uh they were all everybody was kind of disappointed that they weren't going to do the kind of iconic you know, jack pierce designs is, is the guy that made them yeah. uh but i always 
celebrate the fact that they had to create their own. Oh yeah. And what they sure. did is I thought I think they created better ones. I mean, I'll and they created the ones that lifted Amazing Yeah, I mean that's work. an incredible suit. That's that's Look at that. That's 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 stupid is what that thing is. That's so good. And and Gilman is all Steve Wang and Matt Rose and these were all young, you know, what Stan did with the team of guys uh, that made all the creatures is he assigned like a team of two uh, to one monster. Oh, okay. And so they all, they had to go make their own and they realized what they were getting assigned. And Steve Wang and Matt Rose got Gilman and uh, John Rosengrant and Shane Mahan got werewolf and the mummy and uh, Tom Woodruff jr. And Alec Guinness did the bat transformation that was amazing. And did the makeup of, uh, applique for Frankenstein's monster, which is a complete redesign of what yeah. you think Frankenstein is. Oh, totally. I, probably, uh, I, I think, think it's better because I think it's well. more. I it looks better. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think and, it's. And uh, Tom Newton is such an amazing. I mean, he, man, being behind all that makeup to emulate that. I mean, again, like one of the saddest cinema. Uh, cinema movie scenes ever is that goodbye between Phoebe and, and Frankenstein's monster. It's just absolutely heartbreaking. You're like, hey, they should be friends forever. Uh, it, it, but it's so much out of that. It gets everybody every time. Yeah. <laughs> or even um, yeah. And what it did is, you know, these guys had to create new ways to make these monsters. Yeah. But they had they, these guys had to create new ways to make these monsters. They did, and then they changed an industry. Because then everybody was trying to do what they did because yeah. this was right before digital took over. Like this was still practical, all practical right. effects. And what's interesting is these guys grew up out of Monster Squad and worked on all these other great stuff out of Stan's shop. But then they, now today, Steve and Matt, Matt passed away last year. Um, okay. Alec Guinness and um, Tom Woodruff Jr. own uh, Amalgamated Dynamics, which is one of the biggest creature effects studios in, in the business. Uh, Shane and John uh, own and run Legacy Effects, which makes giant movie effects. Yeah. Steve and Matt ran Steve's shop for years. It's insane what these guys went on to do. And they are now the, the, the icons of an industry. And they were just 20-something newbies trying to figure out how to make new designs on this stuff. And you know yeah, that's I mean, what set you apart from all the rest. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah. I mean you've seen some of the footage on it. Uh, I mean, it just the artistry goes into it. Uh, and that was the other thing. I mean, everything is, it, it's, it's just a it's amazing piece of artwork that's you can move with and it's, you know, you can, you know, shoot with, with lighting and everything. But I, yeah, I always super, super admired the work they did. And it doesn't surprise me that they went off to do, uh, you know, other things like that as well. Just unbelievable work. And I guess you're saying like, even on set, I mean, that's gotta be, it had to be just like unreal, like seeing, you know, like Gilman or Frank Stein, uh, you know, unbelievable. Um, yeah, I think that also. You know, it was it was great to watch those guys work, plus the actors in the suits. You know, to see how they form and all that gear and and makeup. It's 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 not fun. Yeah. Um, I've had a little experience of doing like prosthetic makeup for a time. And like, you, I did it. You know, you have to sit in a chair for two and a half hours one time. Tom Noonan sat in a chair for three hours every day for like wow. three months. Wow. And um, you know that's just insane. That, that's and unbelievable. Tom Woodruff, who Tom Woodruff, who was one of the sculptors um, and effects guys is also the guy in the Gilman suit. So this is the first time that he actually got to become the creature. And wow. that started another level of his, because he became a go to creature performer and always, and jumping For in the sure. stoop. 
because he was able to do Gilman. And he asked, he asked Stan, and there's a whole story behind that too, which is fascinating. And that launched another part of his career of being a creature performer for a number of years. That's so amazing. And, and yeah, uh, that story and, uh, or even like little beats and like this little beat in the movie, just that little comic relief, which for the kid would be horrifying. <laughs> but the way that they had played it off, just uh, the way they were able, uh, everybody, the act, actors and everything, to weave that together to be a real good, thoroughly scary movie. But these uh, heartfelt points and comic relief was just unbelievably well done. Well, that's where I think the story that's you know rather dark and dangerous, uh, centered around kids in peril, that they're the only ones that know what's going on. The adults aren't helpful. Um, you know, it, it you you go beyond the cliche with you know. You don't stay camp. Yeah. Just in the relief makes it the banter back and forth between the kids themselves is, is all, and everything has heart. Uh, so that's what connected with everybody was the authenticity and the heart of the story and the characters, uh, the way it comes off um, little whippy snippy things here and there, you know, a five-year-old telling, you know, four other teenage boys not to be chicken shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just iconic stuff that ends up, becoming part of the world so and having all these great craftsmen and all these artists to, to play on top of that and all these great character actors that come in. And, you know, one thing I was, we don't get enough of John Grease, who was the guy that turns into oh, I was, I was gonna bring Wolfman, right. but oh, good, he's yeah. one of my favorite all time character actors and everything. He's so and, good. He does, you know, yeah. He's so good. I mean, all the way from Laszlo and real genius to uncle Rico oh, and real Napoleon genius. dynamite Legend. and everything he's done. It's, Oh, he's um, so good. And, yeah. He's actually a really cool guy. Uh, we're actually, we stay in touch every once in a while. Oh. Uh, he's come to a couple appearances. Um, so he, he's a cool dude. Uh, he's actually been in a friend of mine's movie uh, that she was producing. Uh, and, uh, you know, they got John and I visited him on the set. He's just a cool dude. Um, but all those things, like you said, the, the, the comedy, you know, it weighs with the beats and the, and the, and the payoffs and the setups. Uh, and it makes a fun story that's only 82 minutes long and you're in and out of it really quick. Yeah. Uh, and that's sort of the problem. I always lamented that, uh, you know, Shane and Fred wrote each scene, each act, and the whole movie is itself as a thing with setups and payoffs. And yeah. we ended up cutting so many pages out of the original script. And then as we were shooting, as often do, you have to shorten the script of the day. You can't do this shot because you lose it. This, the story of how it all comes together. And I always lament that there's a couple pages that were in the script that we shot that you don't see because there's a lot of the past setups that we don't have and yeah. vice versa. Uh, yeah. but only when you're in the know, do you know, it's not there. Um, but I, I, I always wish that they were still in there cause there were kind of some, kind of some, you know, meaty stuff that I always liked, Anyone um, in particular or, you know, just reading the original. Well, you know, I think the, probably two, um, okay. the, the main one is at the very beginning where we're, you know, it starts off a hundred years in the, in the past yeah. with, you know, Van Helsing going after Dracula. Uh, and the movie starts with this, you know, a, a, a scroll of storytelling. And yeah. then at the end, it says they, they blew it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I we don't know how they blow it. We never know. Like, how did they blow it? And then what happened? Yeah. Well, I tell you how they blew it is, and they actually shot these scenes, but they actually cut them. Um, obviously, Shane Black's original draft had like Zeppelin's landing and like, a hundred sailing ships Whoa, and an army invading wow. the shore and this oh, giant yeah. epic battle in the woods with like a thousand vampire brides or something. Uh, but it all got whittled down. And, um, but they, there's the scene where Van Helsing and his merry band of men 
capture Dracula, they chase him down the woods, and they stake him. They kill him. They, they get Dracula in oh, wow. 1887. And they throw him in a wagon, and then they go up to the castle to do the, the, the reading, to open up limbo and suck out all yeah. the evil and reset you know, kind of the balance for the next 100 years. And so quickly, I'll tell the story, is they leave, I always call it red shirt. They leave one guy at the body of who's dead in the, in the wagon. And out of the mist come three vampire brides. And he shoots one with his crossbow. The other one's near him. He stabs her. And then the other one gets him by the throat and pins him up against the wagon. And he's about to be choked out. And he's flailing around. He finds a stake and he kills her. And he's like, oh, I survived. I made it. But of course, if you know anything about vampire lore, when you unstake a staked vampire, he comes back to life. And when he was flailing around and grabbed a stake, he unstaked Dracula. Oh, no. To kill the oh, vampire bride. And then so then Duncan does the he sits up in the wagon. Oh, that would have been awesome. And then it man. cuts to it cuts to it cuts to present day. So that's how they blew it, right? Oh wow. And but we don't ever see that scene, which I always thought was missing. Yeah. And so Dracula has been walking around for a hundred years waiting for for the midnight of nineteen eighty seven. To when the balance, you know, the balance is there, and he can destroy the amulet and take over, uh, and then our little punk ass gets in the way. So yeah. <laughs> um, that that was the kind of the main thing I always, I always, I always oh, thought was that missing. It would have been so cool, man. Oh man, that would have been amazing. I mean, I get, yeah, you got to chop stuff to fit or whatever, but man, that's one that would have been really, really good. Uh, we did have like a, a question and like why, you know, what do you think? Cause you didn't really see like the Wolfman and the mummy and uh, you know, Gilman and, and, and all that back in Frankenstein in the hundred years ago. So I imagine like uh, there's a question right. in like, you know, what was Dracula doing the whole time? I mean, besides learning, you know, uh, how to drive and make dynamite and uh, <laughs> you know, uh, or yeah, even the, exactly. the Wolfman's um, uh, the cane, the control, I, it looks like that's how he kind of was, Mm -hmm. control them and things like that uh what do you pr uh, propose was uh what was he doing was he just collecting these guys as time was going on or yeah I, I do i mean i think he's had a couple hundred years of experience walking around doesn't win uh, in, in 1887 uh, he's got to wait around 100 years for his chance because he's immortal and he can and i think every iteration that he goes through every couple decades he's got to find new minions and so I think that's a whole other story too. I mean, it's oh, like, for sure. you yeah. know, what is Gilman? I mean, obviously Gilman is, you know, a re-envisioning of a Creek Black Lagoon, which mm -hmm. is just this weird fish guy or, yeah. you know, yeah. that movie came out of the, you know, the early atomic era. Like, did we irradiate some fish? We don't that, know. You know, yeah. that became this weird creature that was malevolent. Right. So, you know, pre-atomic age and, you know, turn of the century and, you know, whatever, like Dracula was... He's got to walk around and he gets vampire brides and, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, there's, you know, there's other monsters that he can, you know, Frankenstein's something he's always been around because that's older, you know, old as he is, uh, you know, mummy, you know, goes way back, you know, even before this. So he's just, he spends his time collecting the knowledge, I guess, of wow. who can help him and be his squad um, when he needs to activate them at certain times in history. Uh, I mean, but everybody else always asks, like, where the hell did Dracula get dynamite? <laughs> Yeah, you could make a home. And I always say, look, he's been walking around. Yeah, yeah. he's been walking around for a hundred years, 
And I always, I always have this vision in my mind. He's walking around Central America when they were building the Panama Canal, and he okay. just like swiped a bag of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like when they were making the, you know, they, they were in, he was in Alaska during the gold rush or California when they were blowing mines out to get gold, and he just like you know yeah. collected some. He's like, I might need this someday. I might. Who knows? Uh, or going like a trip to excavation to Egypt, and like, oh yeah, you know, we can get this mummy thing going. There's there's tales of that. Yeah. I, I would I would be yeah. that. I mean, you can literally, uh, you make, you're doing such a good job with like TV now uh, versus just only movies. I mean, you could, you know, let's say it's an HBO 10 episode thing and go into that or even post Monster Squad things, which actually uh, there's another fan uh, question. Actually, this is a, a video. I'm going to play this for you here. Hi, my name is Kaylin, and my question for Andre is why do you think Dracula needed Frankenstein's monster? Because if you think about it, he went out of his way to get him on the team. That's my question. It, it's, a, it's a great question. Yeah. I th someone's asked that question before in the past. That's why it's good. Um, I think just, I think because he knows him, like he knew about him. Yeah. And maybe before, obviously they had met before. So I think there's a, there's a backstory. There's a peak, there's a prequel story between those two. Uh, because you're mashing up two giant things in literature of, you know, almost the same era. Of course. Yeah. Um, yeah you know, because th those two stories, those two characters go way back in literature before you see them in movies. Right. Because you don't oh, see them until sure. the 30s. But these were, you know, you know uh, late 19th century, you know, scary story guys. So I think they knew each other. Um, and that I think he's sense. like, hey, I need some muscle because like, <laughs> you know, I, I can only be walking around half of the day. I need muscle doing my sense. bidding like the other half. And, you know, remember, you know, way back in the day, Frankenstein's monster, when you didn't mind or you accidentally killed a little kid. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so you'll do that for me. You'll do that for me now. <laughs> that makes sense. I like that little beat in the movie, too. It just makes like, Dracula. Because uh, he, when he goes up to Phoebe, you're like, yeah. oh, no, oh, no. And then it turns out to be. Oh, this guy's, uh, it, it gets that soft side of him, you know? Yeah. Which, which also shows my favorite thing about Frankenstein's monster as a character is that he's also a guy that, yes, he's a monster, but he never asked to be any of, to even be walking around as a reanimated guy. Like, he didn't ask for that. Yeah. And yeah. so he's, he's literally a guy made from parts who did not <laughs> sign up for that. And so the, the, the original humanity comes out only in the innocence of the, you know, the young girl who, interestingly enough, in a movie in 1987, is the hero of the movie. Oh, for sure. It's not one yeah. of us. It's not the boy. You know, the little girl is the hero of the movie more than once, but definitely at the end. Um, and, you know, you didn't see that a lot back then, you know, when the, you know, the little oh, girl yeah. is the you know, is, is the actual hero and the one that really is less afraid of all of it than anybody. <laughs> it's just the crazy. first one to bridge that. Right. Uh, that was uh, always refreshing about it. Now did what I'm sure there, were there yeah. ever talks of sequels or, or maybe another question to ask is how could you imagine a, a, a sequel? Cause there, you know, there's gotta be other monsters out there to go after. So yeah, that's the uh, question, right? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. We get it all the time. People ask our take on it. Um, it's, it's, I love the, you know, they were remaking this movie starting back in 2010, 2009. Oh, I heard of that. Yeah. And that ended up dying. Um, yeah. Uh, Rob, Rob Cohen and Michael Bay had teamed up to, oh. um, to reboot the Monster Squad. They were going to remake the original story. Uh, and all the fans didn't like that idea. They didn't want that to happen. Uh, and then the uh, Universal Dark Universe announced. And so they said, okay, right. we're not going to do the story anymore. So everybody, everybody rejoiced. Uh, but that, what that does, that leaves it open for either, you know, prequel type stories, uh, you know, which we mentioned could be amazing, yeah. or a sequel. And I don't, I don't think a reboot works. Um, if you're going to do it about a bunch of kids fighting monsters, do it on Netflix and call it Stranger Things. Right. That's great. You have it. <laughs> yeah, it's there. Um, <laughs> you don't have to reboot the Monster Squad. Um, yeah. Just do it something, do something else. Like do something else inspired by great stuff that you grew up with. Um, but I think a sequel story, uh, I'm, 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 I'm being cagey about it just because I love the idea. Um, th there, there's a great version of a sequel um, on my laptop yeah. okay. <laughs> uh, that uh, I, I conceived and I conceived a number of years ago, oh, but I really? wanted to make sure it filled all the holes in from the first one. It oh, brought cool. in um, some of the history of it. it. It brought in some of the cool stuff. Um, you know, like I said, Dracula has been walking around for a hundred years, you know, yeah. just when we know him and now he's been walking around for, uh, you know, he's been walking around, uh, you know, for that hundred years and he gets sucked into limbo. But what if something was weird and happened and limbo got reopened or, Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. You know, my little, my little tidbit, um, you know, is, uh, he's been walking while he is in one of my favorite things. This is an homage to the classic monster movies. And, you know, one of the great sequels is, you know, son of Dracula. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, you know, why couldn't there, why couldn't there be a modern interpretation of, a 1950s, oh, you know, son cool. of a return of, you know, and I always love the fact that there's another generation. So, uh, so not only is there another generation of monsters um, of, of current day, but there's also another generation of the squad to end up oh, fighting awesome. them. I think if there were ever a sequel. So we are in it, like we are the original squad. Yeah, uh, but I think it's got to be, a, sure. you know, it's got to be a passing of the torch type thing. Interesting. I, it's, yeah. that, that sounds uh, really interesting right off the bat. I mean, I, and you can easily do that. I mean, easily. Uh, yeah. it's, not, it's not like it's like a far stretch. To, to well, the, yeah, it. there's a, there's a really good, yeah, there's a really good, uh, there's a really good story frameworked out that I think is pretty cool. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Hopefully we can. I'd love to, I'd love to see some version or anything really, but uh, just, just as long as the right people are involved in it, that means Fred and Shane. Right, for sure. Yeah. I, I I would love to, you know, hopefully one day we get to see something, some fruition out of that. Cause that would be uh, unbelievable. And what better timing? Cause it is, it is as uh, popular as it's ever been, if not more so, I mean, not throughout, throughout the year, let alone, you know, obviously Halloween, of course, it, you know, it, it could be a, a popular mm. thing, but throughout the year, I mean, I just watched it the other day, <laughs> you know, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, I want to get into uh, this next segment. We like to play games uh, with our guests on the show. And uh, this is they're fun. Okay. Uh, nothing too crazy. Nothing too, you know, like, oh, I really got to dig deep. Uh, so uh, this one is appropriately uh, called Monster Mash. All right. Uh -huh. So uh, this is uh, I'm going to show five 
um, pairing up here. If the Monster Squad, the kids, were to cross over into other uh, franchises, if you will, um, and you get to pick which one you think we had the most interesting story to it, you know, which would be cooler for you. Okay. So I'll, sh I'll show the first one here. Uh, and I think these are all good. A lot of these were like emailed in and stuff. So let's give it a go. <clears throat> Monster Mash, number one, uh, the Monster Squad segues into ghosts. Segues into ghosts. Um, I could see. So I'll, I'll keep showing these as, as I we could go see through. it. Yeah, keep showing me. Okay. See. Yeah. And you just pick the, the best one you think. Uh, the next one, Monster Mash, number two, Critters, which is another uh, awesome movie in that time period. Okay. Uh, yeah. Next yep. one um, is uh, Killer Clowns from Outer <laughs> Space. I thought that was a, 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 great, a great pick. Uh, um, <laughs> and then uh, actually, oh, there's just one more here. Uh, this actually might be a little on the nose, but Stephen King's It. And of course, we went with the, uh, or the what was it, 90s or 1990 reference. Um, so I right. guess, I guess those are the oh, four, uh, which one seems the most interesting or maybe you can top it. I don't know. I think, um, the monster squad versus Godzilla universe would be cool too. Um, oh, like, say we like just kaiju because and... we grew up as total nerd. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like monster squad versus some kaiju world because we never got a lot of good kaiju and then we got a lot of good kaiju. True, you know, right? Because I yeah. grew up watching, you know, terrible, terrible kaiju movies on Saturday mornings, and you're just fascinated by them. Um, yeah. I, I, I always thought that would be cool. And let's go with your with your mashup. I actually think the coolest one would actually be a mashup of your mash of uh, Ghostbusters and Critters, because oh. I think supernatural. Supernatural with the, ghosts with the alien uh, are are since they're kind of ethereal, but they actually have physical minion creature beings that are kind of wreaking havoc. Cool. Uh, Very so cool. you know, there's a, just an army of critters that are run by ghosts. Oh, there you go. We'll go with that. I'd, I'd watch it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I thought this was really cool. Um, someone, uh, uh, a friend of mine, had came up with this idea, and. Um, I did a little uh, little photoshopping for it, um, if the if it went into because we're talking the '80s here, uh, what was really also really big in the '80s are slasher films. So we have Slasher Squad. I thought <laughs> I thought it was a pretty interesting mashup, and um, I guess I could see <laughs> that. <laughs> you got Freddy Krueger as like the Dracula role, and I suppose Jason Voorhees as more of the I don't know Frankenstein role. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could see it. I could see well, it. But probably, it, yeah, yeah. But there's so much to it. I, yeah, I mean, uh, even now, like, I would love to see, yeah, prequels to it. Uh, and I think, yeah, passing of the torch for a sequel uh, makes total sense. And yeah, it could be for movie sure. form or even. I mean, these, like I said, these days they're doing amazing work with, uh, like, ten episode or you know, thirteen, fifteen mm. episode. Yeah, uh, you know, telling the whole story with that. Um, other than that, I'm just going to uh, wrap up the show here because we went deep dive and everything. Uh, I definitely yeah. going to keep a close touch with you because when you do have more anything actually at all uh, you have going on, not just Monster Squad Base, let me know. I will pump it out on the, the channel. And um, yeah, for sure. And then uh, obviously anything with the documentary, um, let me know because I, I know a lot of people really want to see this. 
And I know, I know I do. <laughs> I really want it as well. Um, let me put up here as well the links. Uh, these are uh, websites you guys can check out, uh, thesquaddoc.com, um, on Instagram and Twitter uh, for Andre Gower, uh, for that as well, or um, the Squad Doc is on there as well. Is there anything else you'd like to uh, point people towards? That, that's kind of the main thing now, right? Everything's social. Okay. Uh, it's so easy and quick. Um, that's that's kind of the best thing. So, you know, I'd, lo- I'd love to you know, have you follow, um, you know, if you have any questions or if you're a fan, you know, please just, you know, follow along, um, you know, hit me up, um, send me any videos or anything. If there's a response, um, if anybody, you know, it it seems like the shameless plug, but, um, you know, I, I've gotten a lot of requests since we've been in COVID. I'm also on cameo, um, you know, to do little kind of personal shout outs. Yeah. So since we can't do, since no one can go to conventions or signings or anything right now, Cameo sort of kind of been the the release and the outlet for people to get kind of in touch with us. Uh, so yeah, hit uh, hit myself or Ryan up on Cameo. Um, oh, we'd cool. love to you know sh- awesome, give you a shout man. out. Um, so that's cool. And um, you know, hit me up. Stay stay in touch. Stay close. Um, follow me. Follow the Squad Doc. Uh, we'll have some good announcements here uh, hopefully very soon. Awesome. And uh, it, we'll get we'll get that out get that out to you in the world. And I'd love to come back after you get to see it uh and oh, uh, sure. chat about it yeah i definitely plan on having you know all our guests on again and uh man thank you so much for being on the show i really do appreciate you taking time to do it uh guys we're talking to a a, a monster slayer legend right here um but yeah i'm really looking forward to the documentary and, and all the work you have lined up and i have high hopes uh i keep my fingers crossed also for the what's on the computer will uh, also become uh, uh, a reality as well for some more things and um and yeah, well, I'll keep in touch. <laughs> uh, thank you for watching, everybody. I will sign off here and then just have you hang on just one minute there, Andre. Yep. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you all enjoyed the show. For more great interviews and content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Legends and Master Show. Also, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Be sure to go to our website, www.legendsandmastershow.com, and join our email list for all upcoming shows events and articles. See you on the next one.